passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Jordan Gowing. God, it is, uh, it is so good to be able to open your word, and um, I, I marvel each and every week as we gather together that we are able to gather around your word. What an incredible gift it is that we have a God who still speaks today, a God who has not left us as orphans, but through his Holy Spirit, through your Holy Spirit, you have given us everything we need for life and godliness. Thank you for that gift, God. God, as we seek as a church to be ever more faithful to the calling that you have given us, to live out the great commandments, to love God, to love others, to live out the great commission, to see the gospel spread to the ends of the earth, God, we ask that you would help us to see how we can be more faithful in living that calling out as individuals as well as a corporate body. And God, that's not just true of here at Crosswinds. We also think of the other churches in our community, those that proclaim the gospel. God, we ask that they would be faithful, ever more faithful to the mission that you have entrusted to the local church. And God, as we spend time now in your word, we ask that you would be present with us. We ask that you would be the one who speaks. Holy Spirit, come and teach us because we desperately need you to be the one who teaches us. That's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, well, I am unashamedly um, a fanatic when it comes to space exploration, all right? So when I was little, I wanted to be an astronaut. I think I've told this story about when I was, I was little, um, every summer I would check out the same nine books from the library when I was little, one for each of the planets, because at that time Pluto was still a planet. And I would check those out over and over and over again, just reading about all of these different things. I, um, Crystal, my wife and I, we went on a, our, our 10 year anniversary. We, we took a, a brief trip uh, to Northern Arizona and the only book that I packed was a book chronicling the events of Apollo 8. And my wife gave me the weirdest look ever because I have a tendency to bring really, really weird books uh, when we go on vacation together. I, I subscribe to NASA's weekly update email letter, uh, newsletter that comes out. I, uh, I'm counting down the days until September 2024 when Artemis 3 makes its trip to the moon. Uh, I'm, I'm just super excited about these things. So as you can imagine, back this past March when uh, the Perseverance rover landed on Mars, I was, I was very, very interested. I was following that entire process and just loved uh, learning more about what was taking place uh, with this rover. And, and I was one of those people that um, there, were, there were really two different types of people when they saw pictures that the rover was taking on Mars. Some of them would see these pictures that just looked like rocks because that's what they were, right? And they'd say, okay, those are rocks. Why is this a big deal? And then there were people like me who would say, holy cow, those are rocks. That's amazing. This is awesome. And, and, and for me, I, I look at that and, and I see no one has laid eyes on this before. And the only reason it exists is because God just delights in creating. And it's almost like when, when we finally got some pictures, he's like, yeah, guess what else I have to show you in the rest of the cosmos? I love space exploration. I love the idea of perseverance, this rover that ends up 
on the Martian surface, uh, surface. And, and as I was... Uh, as I was looking at uh, some details about the, the Perseverance rover uh, this past week, I came across the purpose of the name Perseverance. It was a part of a, a, a competition for K-12 students uh, across the United States to, to submit a name for this rover, and, and they would submit um, an essay for why, they should, uh, why, why their selection or proposal for a name should be chosen. And this is the reason why... The Perseverance rover is named the Perseverance. Consider this. Curiosity, insight, spirit, opportunity. If you think about it, all of these names of past Mars rovers are qualities we possess as humans. We are always curious and seek opportunity. We have the spirit and insight to explore the moon, Mars, and beyond. But if rovers are to be qualifies or qualities of us as a race, we miss the most important thing, perseverance. We are a species of explorers, and we will meet many setbacks on our way to Mars. However, we can persevere. We, not as a nation, but as humans, will not give up. The human race will always persevere into the future. And that, I'll, I'll be honest, that's a really compelling, almost romantic narrative, right? It's this idea that, that the stars will be ours because of our indomitable will. That nothing is going to stop this human spirit of exploration, even that final frontier, 150 million miles away to get to Mars. We will persevere. And of course, we could, we could nitpick about the just <laughs> over-the-top humanism of that quote. But I don't make it a, a habit to criticize seventh graders too much, uh, which seventh grader is the one who wrote this. Um, but, but I do think that this, this title or this, this term, perseverance, it, it does highlight the importance of persevering, especially in the face of hardship, of challenge, and of obstacle. And the title, this, this idea of perseverance, it's a powerful one. It's a motive one. It sinks deep inside our hearts. And, and small wonder that Jude ties into that as well as he is writing to this church that is in the midst of hardship, that's in the midst of struggling. And as they're seeing people turn their backs on the faith, Jude says, persevere. Contend for the faith that has been entrusted to you. If you have a Bible, I invite you to open up to Jude. Uh, Jude's only one chapter long. We're going to be in verses 17 through 23 this morning. Uh, as you're doing that, I just want to remind us all of, of where we are in the book of Jude. Thankfully, Jude is a relatively clear book when it comes to the main points. Jude, Jude doesn't leave us guessing about why he's writing. Jude, verse 3 and verse 4, tells us the reason why he is writing. It says this, Beloved... Although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So here's Jude, and he's writing to this church, and, and his heart's desire is, is to write this joyous letter. This letter celebrating the salvation that he has in common with this church that he is writing to. And yet he knows 
That there are people in the church who are distorting the gospel. And they're, they're saying that, that because grace is this free gift that God has given to us, that means that you can do whatever you want. They're, they're mistaking Christian liberty with Christian license. They're ignoring the commands of Jesus. And, and Jude makes it very clear. He says, you know, this is a perversion of the grace of the gospel. And then he goes to great lengths to describe why this is a perversion. He goes to great lengths to describe what will happen to those who distort the gospel. And that's what we saw over the last several weeks as we were in verses 5 through 16. But Jude's main point is that we would contend for the faith. That we would persevere in the gospel. That's what he says in verse 3. And now, after all of this talk about why we should, he comes back to how. And that's what we see in verses 17 through 23. It is this, this answer to the question, how? How am I supposed to contend for the faith? How am I supposed to persevere for the sake of the gospel? If we were to just boil down the key to how we are to persevere, I think it would just be three simple words that we find in this passage. Three simple words, remain, remember, and mercy. That's what Jude focuses on. First, he focuses on remembering. And then after that, he looks at how we can remain. And then finally, he looks at mercy and how we are to be a people of mercy. That's how we're going to follow this um, section of Scripture this morning. So if you have a Bible, please follow along as I read aloud, starting in verse 17. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, and the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment that has been stained by the flesh. Jude starts with this command to remember. And this charge to remember is, is as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago when Jude is, is writing this letter. This church that Jude writes to is being torn apart by this false teaching. And it would have been very easy for those that he was writing to, to become disillusioned about the church's future and wonder, you know what, is, is Jesus even in charge? Does Jesus know what is happening? What's going on right now? Does God even care? And that's why Jude says, I want you to remember. I want you to remember the predictions that the apostles made before this happened. This charge to remember is, is crucial. Crucial for Jude's day, it's crucial for us today as well as we are, are, are kind of caught off guard by the, the brokenness of our world. And we begin to wonder, hey, you know what, does God know what he's doing? Consider again verses 17 through 19. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. So Jude is, is, is confronting this brokenness in the church. And he says, what I want you to do is I want you to remember. And this is a really common refrain as we look at the scriptures, this, this charge to, to remember. 
And a lot of times when the scriptures tell us to remember, it's, it, well, it's because we're prone to forget. But a lot of times it's because we need to remember how God worked in the past so that we can be confident that God will work in the exact same way today. That don't forget who God is. That's what Jude does earlier in this book. All the way back in verse 5, he says, I want you to remember how God worked during the Exodus so that way you can be confident that God's going to work the exact same way today. But that's not what Jude is doing in this passage. When Jude says, remember, he's got something else in mind. He's, he's not saying, hey, I want you to remember how God worked then so you can be confident how he's going to work now. He's instead saying, I don't want you to be caught off guard by the brokenness that you find in the church. God saw that this was coming. In fact, his apostles, those who walked with Jesus, the rock upon which Jesus built his church, they predicted that this was going to happen. If you think that God has lost control of his church, don't worry. He's in charge. He's in control. He still remains on his throne. It can be really easy for us to get discouraged about the state of the local church today. Divisions run rampant. That's something that Jude talks about here in this passage. Sin rears its ugly head. COVID took out a huge swath of churches. Friends of mine who were pastors of churches, now no longer their churches have closed. The brokenness of the world has, has crept into the local church. And, and, and Jude, he's, he's focusing on those who are, are proclaiming this false gospel, this distortion of grace. And, and when you hear that, when you hear that there are people who are distorting the gospel and it seems like their ministry is flourishing, it is so easy to get discouraged. When it seems like for all intents and purposes, they're winning. And Jude says, I don't want you to be caught off guard. I learned this the hard way. Uh, shortly after I became, so I became a Christian in high school. And uh, shortly after that uh, moment, a, a group of friends, uh, me and a group of friends, we were asked to help do some fundraising for a local parachurch ministry. And this local parachurch ministry was um, serving juvenile delinquents in my, in my hometown um, from all over the nation. And one of the things that uh, we, we did was to raise money is that we actually sold fireworks, which is really fun, uh, working in a fireworks tent. And, and we, we worked our tails off. A bunch of high schoolers worked, and we raised like 25 grand. It was awesome. It, it was a lot of work, but it was so, 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 so worth it. Or at least it would have been worth it. Until the moment we found out that one of my mentors took all of that money, ran off, never saw him again. Next thing we know, we find out that he's been sleeping around with a bunch of different women down in the Kansas City metro area where he served as a youth pastor. All of that money that he stole from this ministry he had used to just live his lavish lifestyle. And when I think of Jude, I think of that person, honestly. It's the first time I've thought about this person in years this past week as I was considering this passage. And the most sobering part of that is that there were people who were part of that group that, that worked so hard to raise funds for this ministry that they became so disillusioned with the church 
They became so disillusioned with, is God really in control that they just, they just walked away? Decades later now, they're, they're still not following Jesus. They don't want anything to do with him because of the brokenness that was in the church. And Jude's charge here, this charge to remember, it, it's, it's more than just this, this charge to, to remember. It's, it's a plea to the church to not become disillusioned with Jesus. Don't become disillusioned with Jesus just because of a broken world. And when I look at my own life, and, and, and as I mentioned, that, that, that story of, of, of the brokenness that I experienced decades ago, I, I'll be honest, I have no idea why I wasn't one of those people who walked away. I, I, I was the prime candidate. I was young in my faith. I looked up to this person. I didn't really know much about the faith. You would have asked me about where the book of Jude is. I would, I would have told you, I don't even know if there is a book of Jude. I told you it's a song about the, from the Beatles. <laughs> I started this series and said I would only mention that song once, and that's my second time. I'm sorry. <laughs> but one thing that sticks out to me here from Jude's letter is he talks a lot about mercy. He talks about the mercy of Jesus. And, and if I'm being honest, really, that's the only reason why I, I weathered that storm and and, and made it through, is, it's just because of the mercy of Jesus. And that's, that's really the heart of what it means to persevere, isn't it? It's because Jesus is a merciful king. That those who are prone to wander, they're being kept by Jesus. And that's, that's how Jude starts. If you look at how he's describing the beginning of his letter, he's describing those that he's writing to. He says that we are kept for Jesus Christ. So here Jude, he's, he's writing these words so that we can be prepared that when the storms of life come our way, when they rock the church, that we are not thrown overboard. That we don't become so disillusioned with Jesus that we just walk away from the faith. And so Jude says, remember the message, the predictions of the apostles. Don't become disillusioned with Jesus because of broken people and because of a broken world. That's the foundation of perseverance. We can't go an inch further in following Jesus, of clinging to Jesus, of staying with Jesus until we recognize that Jesus is Lord of his church, that he's, he's not caught off guard by anything, and that Jesus' promises for his church will endure. And Jesus' church will endure as well. Whenever a new distortion of the gospel comes up, that his love for his bride will see his bride through to the end. And it's that love that is the core, really, of Jude's second charge, his second command, his second word that we're looking at this morning, this word remain. For perseverance, we have to remain. Take a look at verses 20 and 21. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the, Lord, the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. The way this sentence is written, it's, it's relatively clear what the heart of what Jude is saying. And he uses some different um, phrases to support the heart of what he is saying. The focus here is on this idea of remaining. He says, keep yourselves... In the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Everything else that Jude says here supports that idea. That you would keep yourselves 
in the love of God. Everything else is just a how. So let's go ahead and consider the how. At the heart of what it means to keep yourselves in the love of God is this sense of obedience. So when Jude says that perseverance means that we remain in the love of God, he's saying that perseverance means that we are obedient to the implications of the gospel. It's the exact same thing that Jesus says to his disciples. As Jesus is in his earthly ministry, he says this to his disciples, If you love me, then you will keep my commandments. Persevering in the love of God means to persevere in loving God. And that is Jude's focus here. That's not to say that we are therefore responsible for our salvation, as though Jesus has has got us in the door and then it's our job to to hold on for dear life, to continue to save ourselves. Jude, again, he, he starts by reminding us that we are those who are called, that we are beloved in God the Father, that we are kept for Jesus Christ. And he closes his book by reminding us again that while we keep ourselves in the love of God, that that God himself is the one who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. God is going to keep those who are his, but those who are his will also keep in his love. And Jude gives us three ways that we can do this, very practical ways, as followers of Jesus, how we can keep in the love of God. He gives us two in verse 20, one in verse 21. First one is this, we remain in the love of God by building ourselves up in the faith. By building ourselves up in the faith. One thing that I love about the book of Jude is you can see how much he loves the gospel how much it means to him. Here, as he is describing the gospel, he says, this is your most holy faith. He he almost like makes words up to describe how important, how significant, how beautiful the gospel is. And he says, if you want to keep in the love of God, then you will build yourselves up in this most holy faith. And because this is your most holy faith, that doesn't mean that you put it on a shelf or put it in a safe to keep it safe. But you live it out each and every day. This is what Jude says at the beginning of his letter as well. He he describes this faith as the one that was once and for all delivered to the saints. Jude cannot think of a better gift, a more precious gift than be given to us than the grace of God, the grace that we find in the gospel. This is a gift that is beyond comprehension. He says, if you want to keep in the love of God, you will live a life building yourselves up in this most holy faith that you could spend forever mining the depths of this grace and not even begin to scratch the surface. That's what Jude is focusing on here. This idea of building ourselves up in the most holy faith, uh, it's both individual, which we just talked about, but it's also corporate. This isn't something that we do only on our own. We do it in a community as well. We could spend forever in this book, in the Bible, and not be done, but, but we don't just do it on 
an individual level, Jude makes it clear he's also thinking about the church as, as a, a corporate group, as a group of people who have been given this gospel. Remember how Jude starts his letter. He says that we have this common salvation. He says that this faith has been entrusted to all the saints. He doesn't just say it's been entrusted to one or two different people. He's got this idea that we build ourselves up when we are in community, when we worship alongside one another. This is one of the beautiful things about life groups is, is we can live out the one another commands of the gospel in a very tangible way. Paul, he's writing to the church in Ephesus, and he puts it this way. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined together, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. A church that is not in the business of building itself up, building up one another in the most holy faith has lost a key part of its identity as a church, as those who follow Jesus. If we want to persevere, then that means that we remain in the love of God, and we do that by building ourselves up in the most holy faith. Second thing Jude mentions is that we remain in the love of God through spirit-guided prayer, through spirit-guided prayer. This is, again, in verse 20. Not only are we to build ourselves up in the, the faith, but we are to also pray in the Holy Spirit. Notice this context here. At the end of verse 19, Jude says that those who are, are distorting the gospel are devoid of the Spirit, and now he says that if you want to be faithful to Jesus, if you want to persevere, then you will pray in the Spirit. So there's this contrast here between those who do not have the Spirit and those who do have the Spirit and therefore will persevere. And, and we might wonder, what exactly does Jude have in mind when he's talking about praying in the Holy Spirit? But I think he's just referring to, to authentic, Spirit-guided, Spirit-directed prayer. Paul reminds us that it is through our union with the Holy Spirit that we are able to approach God, that we can't approach God without the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. Ephesians chapter 2, for through Jesus we both have access in one spirit to the Father. What's more, the Holy Spirit guides us, directs us in our prayers, even intercedes for us while we're praying and we don't know what we are to pray. Romans chapter 8, likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So here, when, when Jude is saying, I want you to pray in the Holy Spirit, he's just referring to genuine prayer. He's, he's saying, you know what, I need you to recognize that if you're actually going to be praying, that you need to depend upon the Holy Spirit to be at work in your hearts, to be at work in the hearts of those that you are praying for, if we want actual transformation to occur. Jesus actually says this in, in John chapter 3, in this conversation that he has with Nicodemus. He points out that if there's any sort of heart change, any sort of life change that is going to happen, any sort of new birth, it's going to be because the Spirit was at work. Notice what he says. Jesus answered, truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. 
In other words, what Jesus is saying is that just like the wind and its origins and which way it decides to blow is a mystery, the same thing is true for the Spirit. The Spirit is at work, and it is a mystery to us of who the Spirit is working on. And if anyone would come to faith in Jesus, if we would see any sort of of fruit, that's why it's called the fruit of the Holy Spirit, do we need the Spirit to be at work. After all, it's the Holy Spirit who gives us enlightenment, helps us to understand the Word of God. Paul, again, in Ephesians, he's praying for the church, and he says this, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. It is the Spirit that enables us to persevere. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through this spirit who dwells in you. Notice the future tense there. Will also give life to mortal bodies. He's saying that the Holy Spirit enables us to persevere through the trials through the storms of a broken world. So when Jude says, I want you to pray in the Holy Spirit, he's simply reminding us that any authentic, genuine prayer is possible because the Spirit dwells within the people of God. If you want to persevere, then build yourselves up in the most holy faith and pray. Pray for yourself. Pray for those who are around you. Pray for those who are outside the church. This is the key to perseverance. So focus of of Jude's final charge here, I think, in verse 21, he's he's talking about how to remain in the love of God, and, and he says that we remain in the love of God by waiting for the fulfillment of his promises. By waiting for the fulfillment of God's promises. If persecution, er, sorry, If perseverance looks backward to the predictions of the apostles, it also looks forward with expectancy to what God will do. At the heart of perseverance is this heart that says, even though every single one of my experiences in this world may point the other direction from the promises of God. It might not line up with what God has said is going to happen for his people in the church. I continue to trust that God is in control. I've said this time and time and time again here at Crosswinds. Uh, This is, I think, the core of what faith actually is. Faith, at its core... Is trusting that God is the type of God who will keep his promises. That's what Paul says in, in Romans chapter 4. He talks about Abraham. He says, you know what? God has made this promise to Abraham. And, and for decades, it, it seemed like God didn't fulfill his promise. The, the reality of Abraham's life was a far distance from what God had actually promised to him. But Abraham didn't lose heart. And he didn't lose trust in the fact that God is the type of God who keeps his promises. In fact, Paul says this in Romans chapter 4. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. 
for he was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That's the heart of faith. Being fully convinced that God is able to do what he has promised. That a God is the God who keeps his promises. And when my experiences in this life might not line up with what he has promised, that doesn't mean that he's going to break his promises. It just means that he hasn't fulfilled them yet. Faith is being fully convinced that God is able to do what he has promised. And so when we look forward to this idea of waiting for the mercy of God that will be revealed in eternal life, it means that we just continue to wait. We continue to look for with, with expectant hearts, with hopeful hearts, not saying, you know what, maybe God, maybe he's lost his way. Maybe he's, maybe he's forgotten about us, or maybe, maybe he was wrong, or maybe he changed his mind. But we just say, God, you are a type of God who keeps his promises for people like me. If we want to persevere, if we want to remain in the love of God, we wait for the fulfillment of God's promises. And as we wait upon the Lord, as we wait upon his mercy, we are also reminded that we are to be the type of people who show mercy to others. That we would be a people that are known for our mercy. That we would be a community of mercy. Notice what Jude says in verses 22 and 23. Have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garments stained by the flesh. One of the things that really strikes me as I consider this passage here in Jude is it talks about contending for the faith and it talks about perseverance. I think a lot of times we look at perseverance on an individual level. Even a lot of the sermon this morning is talking about how I can persevere in my faith. But here, in these last two verses, we see that this is a very, very external focus. It's an other-centered approach to perseverance. We shouldn't just be concerned about persevering ourselves. We also must be concerned with the perseverance of those who are our brothers and sisters in Christ. Or those who, who are, are doubting, or are skeptical, or have gone astray. That we should be a people that don't just care about our own perseverance, but also the perseverance of those who are around us. Jude gives us three separate categories of people here. I just want to look at them each briefly. First, Jude mentions that we have to mercy on those who doubt. And, and this is a soft mercy. If you've been with us, as we've been working our way through the book of Jude, you know that Jude is brutally harsh when it comes to those who distort the gospel. And yet here we see the heart of Jesus in this abundant mercy for those who doubt for those who have been led astray. Jude's heart for those who have gone astray, it's, it's admirable beyond words. This is the heart of Jesus for his sheep, isn't it? But Jesus never gives up on people. Jesus says that we have to be long-suffering with those who doubt, just like he is long-suffering with us. 
that we should never give up on those who doubt. No one is ever too far gone for grace. And so when we persevere, when we contend for the faith, we do it by showing abundant mercy to those who doubt. And when we do so, we follow Jesus. He gives us a second category. He says that we are to save others by snatching them out of the fire. Judas is reminding us that, that if we are tempted as the church to just, for those that are, they're not just doubting, but, and they're not, they're not completely hostile to the gospel, but they're, they're somewhere in between. He says it would be tempting for us to, to cut them out of our lives because they're following this false gospel. They're, they're bringing condemnation upon themselves by the, the people that they are following. And he says, you know what, that's not the right approach. That's not merciful. That's not what Jesus did for you. New Testament, makes it, New Testament makes it very clear that we were enemies of the cross of Christ. It was while we were enemies that Christ died for us. And so in the same way as we follow Jesus in this mercy of Jesus, we must do all we can to save those who are caught in the fire. Now, of course, it's not us who save people. It's the Holy Spirit at work in people's hearts. But we must speak the truth in love. Right now in my um, personal devotions, I'm reading my way through Ezekiel. And I'm just reminded of this. Ezekiel 33, God tells Ezekiel that he is to be a watchman. He's supposed to stand on the wall and warn people of the danger that is before them. And I think that's what Jude is referring to here. This heart that is willing to show mercy by speaking hard truth. Jude gives us one final category. If, if the first was, was soft mercy, this is this hard mercy. He says that we must show mercy with fear, hating even the garment that has been stained by the flesh. We're not supposed to write people off. These are image bearers. They have infinite worth in God's eyes. But mercy of a true follower of Jesus means that a person in all of their interactions will not tolerate the soiled garment of sin. It's not merciful to let a person who claims to follow Jesus, who is in the church, to continue to live their life in a way that is offensive to God. Again, we don't write these people off. We show mercy to them just as Jesus has shown mercy to us. They, they are image bearers. This beautiful, beautiful picture of those that have infinite worth in God's eyes. But we show mercy with fear. One pastor puts it this way. He says, we cannot lower God's standards in the hope that if the terms are easier, more people rep will repent. That is to love the clothing and to hate the sinners because it denies the seriousness of their plight. At its core, mercy means to follow the example of Jesus, both when that mercy is hard and when it is soft. We must be a people that are known for our mercy.
And really, that's what it means to persevere. To persevere means to remember. Don't, don't become disillusioned with the brokenness of the world. It means to remain. Remain in the love of God. Remain obedient to him and following his commandments. And it means to be a person of mercy. This past week, I, did a, I, went, I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole on this word persevere. I ended up looking up its origins, and I discovered that the root of the word, our word perseverance, comes from this Latin word that means abide by strictly. So that's what perseverance, um, it grew out of this term, abide by strictly. And I love that picture because perseverance now, it has different connotations but I think that's the perfect picture of what it means to persevere as a follower of Jesus. To abide by the gospel without wavering. Without deviating an inch. To contend for the faith, to preserve the faith that has been entrusted to God's people. Perseverance starts and ends with the gospel. What Jesus has done for us, and what Jesus has promised, he will bring to completion when he returns. If you want to persevere, look to the cross of Christ. And there you will find all the motivation you need to endure until the end. Let's pray. Jesus, we, we thank you that we can find mercy at the cross. As we sang earlier this morning, that though our sins are many, your mercy is more. That our sins have been cast away from us if we come to faith in you, if we trust in you. God, it's our, it's our desire to be a people who are faithful, who endure till the end, who finish well. And as we walk the path of being a faithful follower of Jesus, we ask that you would help us to show mercy to others, to keep, to remain in the love of God, and to not become disillusioned with your church. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Jordan's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.